0: It's hard to believe about, about eight weeks ago, though it kind of seems longer than that, is when Corona craziness uh, began. And I don't know about you, but I recall during that time people asking, Is Jesus coming back? Is, is, is this the end? Uh, is, is, this, is this the time when, when God is orchestrating everything together and, and that the return of Christ is, is soon upon us? Uh, you may have heard someone talk that way. In fact, you may have had those very thoughts yourself, thinking about the fact that th- th- this certainly has got to show that, 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 that the coming of Christ is, is very, very soon. However, now that many states are implementing gradual steps to a return to, to normalcy, uh, the, apocalyptic, the apocalyptic fever uh, of this virus is waning. It, it, it's waning. You don't hear that talk Quite as much as you used to. So, how should we view as believers? How should we understand an event like COVID 19? What reason or purpose could God have for allowing COVID 19 to to wreak such chaos? Um, God is sovereign. And God the fact that God is sovereign over the universe means that God is sovereign over this virus. Uh, If he's sovereign over the universe, he's sovereign over this virus. Uh, Is this merely part of living in a broken world? Uh, And and, and the answer would be, well, yes, it is. We live in a broken world. We we live in a world that has been, uh, that is a a universe that has experienced the effects of the fall. And because of the fall, we experience disease. We experience pandemics. uh, We experience disasters. We experience uh, disasters that are natural, disasters that are man-made. Uh, that is all part of living in a broken world. But is that is, is that all there is? Does COVID nineteen serve another purpose? Is there another? Is this pandemic that God has 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 allowed in our world at this time? Is there? Is it just merely part of living in a broken world? Or is there something else we should think about beyond getting back to work, beyond uh, who, the, the conspiracy theories that are out there, beyond uh, who's at fault, uh, beyond what should be or should not be done by government? Is there something that God is wanting to say to us during a time like this? Is it a judgment of God? Is it a judgment of God? Is it a warning? Has God provided insight? I mean, are we here just to hear my opinion today? Or can we go to God's Word and and find a a, a passage that we can anchor our thinking in as it relates to times like these? And my answer would be yes. And and I believe that insight is is found in our text today. Uh, Again, as we said, this is the final parable of Jesus that's recorded in Luke's Gospel. In verses 29 through 32 that we just read, it's a nature parable. It's a parable of the fig tree, but Jesus says, look at all the trees. So it's a parable that that is intended for us to look at nature, that, that there is something in nature that as we look at it that can teach us uh, about God, about God's work, about what God is planning on doing. And so it's a nature parable. And that parable, really, there's not much to it. When we get to it, there, there, there's, there's like some of the other parables where we really spend a lot of time. This parable is really used more as an illustration. Uh, the parable is, is, is used more to reinforce Jesus's discourse. It's kind of like uh, Jesus uses the parable to basically kind of help give you a A timeline. And he uses it, this nature parable as, as part of an illustration to illustrate the timeline in this discourse that's found in our text. Now, Jesus makes a lot of points. This, 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 this uh, uh, discourse that Jesus speaks here, it, it's, it's, it's not easy. It's not an easy discourse. And there's a lot of different opinions on this discourse. But Jesus is going to make several points. Uh, he has several thrusts in this eschatological discourse in it. Jesus is going to focus on Jerusalem's destruction while making a clear distinction between the fall of Jerusalem and the end time. Again, Jesus is going to focus on Jerusalem's destruction. That's part of what the question has to deal with. When when will these things happen? When will these things be? The destruction of the temple means the destruction of the city. Uh, If the temple is going to be destroyed, the city is going to be destroyed. Uh, and, and so, but Jesus is going to talk about that. But in doing so, he's going to make a clear distinction between the destruction of, the, of Jerusalem and also the end times. Jesus is also going to state that the end is certain and comes quickly. But he's also going to suggest that the end is further off because of all that must precede it. That the end is certain, the end will come quickly, but he also suggests that the end is further off because of all that must precede it. Jesus is going to exhort His disciples to persevere in the face of these realities. And then He's also going to describe the signs of the end. He's going to encourage them to persevere. He's going to encourage them to keep on. But He's also going to give them the signs of the end. And He's going to explain the fall of Jerusalem as judgment on Israel. It's a judgment upon Israel... But also, it's a guarantee that the rest of God's plans for the ages will occur. The fall of Jerusalem is a judgment upon Israel. But it's also a guarantee that what God is going, that God's plan for the ages is going to happen. Now, let me, let me give you a little bit of a caveat here. When we talk about the end time, we're not talking about the rapture. We're not talking about the rapture. We're talking about the return of Christ when he sets up his kingdom. The rapture is something that can happen at any moment. It could happen before I finish this sentence. It could happen today. The rapture could happen next week. The rapture could also be 1,500 years away. Uh, There's nothing, there's no signs that have to happen before the rapture occurs. There's nothing. Scripture gives us no signs whatsoever regarding the rapture. It can happen at any moment, at any time. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is the return of Christ to this earth. The return of Christ to this earth. So as we talk about the end times, we're not referring to the rapture at all. What we are referring to is the return of Christ upon this earth. Our our focus this morning, as we said earlier, is going to be verses 5 through 11. And basically it's just two points. We see the setting in verses 5 and 6, and we see the signs in verses 7 through 11. So we have the settings and the signs. Let's look at the setting. Verse 5 gives us the location of the setting and the occasion of the setting. Verse 6 gives us an evaluation of what is taking place there. So so let's look at verse 5. He says, and while they were speaking of the temple... So they're at the temple. They're talking about it, but but as you look at the context, this is Passion Week. Jesus is just hours away from His crucifixion. Uh, Jesus has been going to the temple to teach... Uh, every day uh, during this Passover week. And and they're at the temple and they're talking about the temple. And 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 this is, again, this is the second temple. This is is not Solomon's temple. This is the temple that was built by Zerubbabel in 516 B.C. This temple, when it was built, when you look at the book of Haggai, this temple was considered plain. When compared to the Temple Solomon built. In fact, if you remember from that passage, or maybe you remember the story, uh, as they're laying the foundation of that temple, uh, the the younger people are rejoicing because the the, the the foundation of the new temple has been laid. The older people begin weeping, and and and, and just as loudly as the younger people are rejoicing, uh, is as loud as the older people are weeping. And the older people are weeping are those that remembered uh, that they, they were they would have been. Uh, in, their, in their 80s, uh, maybe even older than that, and they remember the time when, when Sol- and, the, and the grandeur of Solomon's temple, uh, how big Solomon's temple was, and this temple was not quite up to standards to Solomon's temple. It was plain, uh, it wasn't as, 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 as elaborate, it wasn't going to be as, as large as Solomon's temple. And and, and so the second temple was kind of, Scripture describes it that way. This temple, if you and I were walking and living in that day and we were talking about the temple, it was commonly known to the Gentiles as Herod's Temple. The reason why it was called Herod's Temple was because back in 19 B.C., so we're looking about a half a century uh, before the timing here, uh, Herod the Great began a a, a refurbishing project. Uh, He he had a, a, a huge building project there in Jerusalem, and part of that building project was to refurbish the temple. And in fact, this building project lasted even after his death. This building project was an 80-year-plus building project. It continued even after Herod the Great's uh, uh, death. The temple would be enlarged to twice its original size. Herod enlarged the temple twice to its original size, and the Roman historian Tacitus referred to it as being, quote, immensely opulent. Unquote. In other words, if you were to walk inside this temple, you would just go, wow. Wow. Maybe you've walked in a house like that before. or Maybe you've been in a building like that before. Or maybe you've seen, been to a museum and seen some things like that before. And you walked in and you just go, wow. This is just unbelievable. This is just un- Look at the workmanship. Look at look at the, the the exquisite things that this 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 building or house is adorned with. Just just look how luxurious this thing is. How I mean, we don't have to go. All you got to do is go to cars nowadays. You know, I remember when I was a kid. Uh, you know what your electric window was? <laughs> that was your electric window. You know, uh, and uh, air conditioning. At least where I was at, I mean, you 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 had, you lived high on the hog if your car had air conditioning. I mean, you. Did, I mean, you had a heater, and that's about all you needed, you know. But the opulence and the and the the the, the just the the, the grandeur. Uh, this was a place that, when you walked in and saw it, you would just take your breath away because of its beauty, just because of its beauty. And that brings us to the occasion. The occasion is those that are with Jesus are just spellbound. By what they are seeing in the temple, the beauty of it, its, it's jaw dropping beauty. Look at the text again there in verse 5. It says, And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings. They are just in awe of what they're seeing. Noble stones, history tells us that these are white marble stones that could measure up to 67 feet long. 12 feet high and 18 feet wide. One stone, one stone, one marble stone, 67 feet long, 12 feet high and 18 feet wide. I mean, just, just to think about what it took to get that stone there, what it took to put those stones together, together and the beauty of such, uh, such a large white marble stone. It also mentions the offerings there, and, and the, 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 the idea here refers to the ornaments that were gifts as decorations for the temple. In other words, these offerings were used to, uh, used to give the interior design, to give all the things within that temple its beauty. History tells us that this temple had gold and silver plated gates and doors. Uh, so much so that, that as, as the sun gleamed off of those, uh, off the golden gates and doors, uh, it, it, uh, Josephus describes it as like looking at a, looking at a, a snow-capped mountain, the, the, the gleam from it. Just the gleam from it. And, and, and that was part of the beauty of it. Also, uh, history tells us that, that the draperies in there, the, the tapestries in there came from Babylon. And they were they made of fine linen and of blue and, and, and purple and, and gold. The, the, these beautiful tapestries, these beautiful draperies that, that, hang, that, that hung within the temple there. And while the twelve are observing the beauty and splendor, the jaw-dropping beauty, the thing that would just, just cause you just, to, just silently to look around and they begin talking about all, all this beauty that they're seeing while they, obs- while they are, are observing and talking about it, Jesus gives a shocking evaluation. Look at verse 6. As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Wow. Now, this temple from its the original temple that was built by Zerubbabel has been there over five centuries. It's been there over five centuries. I mean, for us, that would be like going back and looking at something that was built back in the 1500s. And there's a few places that you can go where you can see something like that. But back in the 1500s. And, and Jesus, as He's, as he's, as he's get, grabbing the attention of, of the twelve, Basically, he's telling his disciples that they should not be overly impressed at what they're looking at. I know it's beautiful. I know it's something to see. But don't get overly impressed about it. Don't become so enamored with it. Why? Because this structure that has stood for over five centuries is temporary. It's temporary. There's coming a day when this structure will be no more. There's coming a day when destruction will be no more and its destruction when it comes, he says they're not going to be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. When its destruction comes, it's going to be devastating and it's going to be final. There's no putting the pieces back together. There's no doing just, hey, we just need to remodel this a little bit. We just need to build this wing up a little bit. When, it, when, when it's destroyed, there's no putting it back together. There's no putting it back together. So Jesus gives this evaluation of what they're looking at, and and it's something that immediately grabs the the attention of the twelve. The twelve don't doubt Jesus. The twelve don't go, oh man, you don't know what you're talking about. You you don't know what you're talking about. They, 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 They don't doubt Jesus. They believe what Jesus says, but they want to know, like you and I would want to know, when it's going to occur, and what events will precede the destruction they don't doubt Jesus. They don't question what he's, about, what he's saying here concerning the temple. But what they do want to know is, Jesus, tell us when it's going to happen. And tell us what can we look for to be prepared for it when it does happen. And Jesus then begins His discourse proper. Which begins in verse 7. And He talks to them about the signs. The signs in verses 7 through 11. When you look at verse 7... The disciples basically ask two questions. He says, and they ask him, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? When's it going to happen? And what will the signs be? When's it going to happen? And what will the signs be? Notice that they ask him, not about when, when will this thing happen, but when will these things, plural, be? Jesus is talking to them about the destruction of the temple. And so the natural way to ask the question will be, well, when is this thing going to happen? Are there any signs that would help us to understand when this thing is going to occur? But they don't say thing. They say things. Plural. Why? Why? Because in Jewish thought, Jerusalem's destruction suggests the judgment of the end times. When Jerusalem is destroyed, it also means that the end times are not far behind, or the end times are here. One suggests the other. You can't have one without the other. And they're thinking, To have one is to have the other. To have the the destruction of the end times means the destruction of Jerusalem. To have the destruction of Jerusalem means you have the destruction and judgment of the end times. And so what they're, they're basically asking here, they're not just asking about the destruction of Jerusalem, they're also asking about the end times. And although the temple's destruction is the focus of the questions, it's not the only topic. It's not the only topic. They're not just concerned about the destruction of Jerusalem. They're also concerned about the end times. And this is evidenced by Jesus' answer. He speaks about the events related to the fall of Jerusalem. Look at verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. So he's going to talk to them specifically about the destruction of Jerusalem, but also he speaks to them about the events related to the end. Look at verse 27 where he says, "...and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory." So he talks to them about the destruction of Jerusalem, and he also talks to them about the end, when the Son of Man returns... When the Son of Man comes, when the Son of Man returns in power and in great glory. And in great glory. So there's two things going on here. There's two things going on here. And sometimes it's hard to see where the shift takes, where, where, where the shift occurs. Where Jesus is maybe focusing on one and then He starts focusing on another. But, but there, there, there's a shift that occurs within, as Jesus is speaking. And Jesus is going to begin His answer in verse 8. He makes the statement in in verse 7. I'm sorry, the question is asked in verse 7. And as Jesus begins His answer, He begins by describing events that do not, do not signal the end. He begins by describing events that do not signal the end the end look at verse 8 then he said to I'm sorry uh, and he said see that you're not led astray or misled for many will come in my name saying I am he and the time is at hand do not go after them do not go after them and again it's, let me just read on and when you hear of wars and tumults do not be terrified for these things must first take place but the end will not be at once At once. And he's going to include verse 10 in that. So again, these are are signs that do not signal the end. Verse 8 is deception. He talks about false religious leaders and and false claims about the timing of the end. There's going to be people come that are going to raise themselves up call themselves Messiah or, 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 or refer to themselves as, as these great spiritual leaders. And, and there's going to be others that are going to be talking about, listen, let me give you 88 reasons why the Lord's going to return in 88. Or let me give you this, or let me give you that, or let me tell you why. why. I mean, it's just around the corner. It's just around the corner. And he says, when you hear that, don't be misled. Don't be misled. The the deception of false religious leaders and of false claims about the timing of the end are events that are going to happen, but these events do not signal the end. And Jesus says, these disciples, he tells them there in verse 8, he says, see that you're not led astray, don't be misled, do not go after them. In other words, they are to be on their guard, on their guard by remembering the instruction of Jesus. Remember what I've told you. Remember what I've said. Don't be misled. Don't be misled. I'm telling you the truth. Don't be misled. Don't, when you hear Messiah is here or, 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 or Jesus is going to be back tomorrow, he says don't be misled by that. Don't be misled. But these do not signal the end. Look at verse 9, first part of verse 9. He says, and when you hear of wars and tu- uh, tumults, wars and tumults or rebellions, in other words, you have social and civil chaos. You have the breakdown of civil order. The breakdown of civil order. He says, that's going to happen. But again, these do not signal the end. He says, but when you are made aware of these events, the disciples are not to be patoyo. Patoyo. He says, back in the text, he says, and when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be patoyo, terrified. Don't be terrified. This word is not the normal word that's used for fear. This refers to being in terror. You're not just afraid. You are terrified. You can't move. That's how, that's how, that's how terrified you are. You're, ter- you, 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 you're, you, you're in terror. The idea also speaks of, of, of about just being emotionally distraught. It's beyond being afraid. It's being terrified. What am I going to do? What's going to happen next? Am I going to survive? Am I going to make it? I don't know what's going on. I don't have any answers. What am I going to say to my wife? What am I going to say to my husband? What am I going to say to my children? What am I going to say to my parents? What am I going to say to my grandkids? Just terrified. Completely immobilized through fear. Terrified. He says, Don't be terrified. Again, these don't signal the end. These are not signals for the end, he says. He says, but don't be terrified. He says, Why? Why why are we not to be terrified for these things? He says, He says, Do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once or immediately. But the end will not be at once or immediately. Why are they not to be terrified? First of all, the text says these types of events are necessary. Look at the text again. He says, for these things must first take place. They're necessary. These things have to happen. These things that do not signal the end have to happen. It's in God's plan for them to happen. Why? Why are they in God's plan for these things to happen? Look at the latter part of verse 9. He says, but the end will not be at once. So again, now, he's talking in the context of the fall of Jerusalem. In other words, this type of event which is going to include the fall of Jerusalem. Why are these things necessary? Because they serve as an example, or they they foreshadow of what end time chaos and judgment looks like. It's not the sign of the end. The fall of Jerusalem was not the sign of the end. But what happened, the judgment of that fall and the chaos... Of that fall. Can you imagine being there when the Romans are, are ransacking the city and, and, and burning it to the ground and, and, and women are being raped, children are being killed, people are screaming? Can you imagine the chaos that exists? Can you imagine the terror that's there? And Jesus is saying the fall of Jerusalem is not the sign of the end. Just like these events that I'm talking about here, this deception and the the social and civil chaos, these are not signs of the end, but they do serve a purpose. And the purpose of this is to give you an example and a foreshadowing of what end time chaos and judgment looks like. This is what it looks like. This is just a little example, a little slice of what end time chaos end-time chaos and judgment looks like. This this text also implies, this this phrase also implies that it's a reminder that end-time judgment and destruction are guaranteed to come. These things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. The end will not be at once. These judgments... This chaos that you see serves as a reminder that end time judgment and chaos and destruction are guaranteed to come. These aren't the signs of the end, but it's letting you know that the end times are certain to come. Are certain to come. Jesus gives another example in verses 10 and 11. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places, famines and pestilence, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. Jesus talks in verse 10 about international hostilities. About international hostilities. Nation is against nation. Kingdom is against kingdom. You have these international hostilities that are taking place, but again... These things do not signal the end. They do not. It's, it's within that context. But the end will not be at once. These things are necessary. But the end is not immediate. The end is not immediate. Th- these things are not signaling the end. the end. These things are not precursors right before the end. Because the end's not immediate. These things are going to happen. These things are necessary. But the end doesn't follow it immediately. They are not signs of the end. You've got this deception. You've got social and civil chaos. You've got the breakdown of civil order. You have international hostilities. Verse 11 speaks about natural disasters, earthquakes, famines, pestilence, things like COVID-19. There'll be terrors and great signs from heaven. Basically, verses 10 and 11 pictures a world reeling in a state of chaos. No certainty. no peace, no security. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Is this nation going to attack this nation? Is this nation going to do some type of cyber attack? Is this nation going to engage in some type of chemical or germ warfare? And then you've got these famines, people lacking food. You've got these pestilence, these these diseases. All these things are happening. But Jesus says, they do not signal the end. They do not signal the end. They have a purpose, but they do not signal the end. So that brings us to the end. Is COVID 19 a sign that the end is near? And my answer would be absolutely not. Absolutely not. COVID 19, as we apply this text to our time and what we're going through right now, is, is it a sign that the end is near? Nope. Not in my thinking. Now, I could be wrong. Based upon this text, I, 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 don't, I don't think it is. But we need to ask another question Is COVID 19 a warning? An illustration of the chaos and judgment of the end time. Absolutely, absolutely. Is COVID nineteen a warning and illustration of the chaos and judgment of the end time? It sure is. See, see, what's more important than what the federal government does? What's more important than whether Bill and Melinda Gates are behind all this stuff? What's more important than than? whether or not the federal government is doing enough or doing too much or, or are we moving so closer to socialism. And I'm not saying those things are not important. and I'm not saying those things, things shouldn't be checked out. And I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, is what's more important, and, and when we start thinking that way uh, and, just, and, and, and be consumed by that, we've missed out. We're thinking like the world is thinking. What we need to see as believers, and what we need as we share, is, as our non believing friends ask us about this situation, how it relates to our faith, what we need to be talking about is not what is going on, what, 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 what the world seems to be doing at this time, but what God is doing at this time. And basically, the answer is this if you think the chaos and the uncertainty is bad now, wait wait, go to the book of the Revelation and read what it's like. Wait. It's bad. People are dying. Our hearts grieve. People are getting sick. People are having a hard time making ends meet. Grocery store shelves sometimes aren't fully stocked. Sometimes we wonder where we're going to get the money or when we're going to get to go back to work or when life is going to get back to normal. But this is just a precursor. In fact, when all these things happen, this isn't my first COVID-19, I put that in quotes, experience. By that, I simply mean this. I can remember, hey, look at all, this world is falling apart. Jesus has got to be coming here pretty quick. I mean, I can remember two, three particular times in my life when, when that was the threat. I mean, I mean, you've got, you got this, this, this war in the Middle East. you got this war that's taking place in the Middle East. you got all these nations coming together. It's got to be happening soon. It's got to be. I mean, it, I mean, you better get ready because Christ is fixing to come. And if Jesus tarries his coming, not in my life, if, it does, if Jesus doesn't come in my lifetime, if the rapture doesn't occur in my lifetime, You that are younger, and as you get, you're you're going to experience more more COVID-19 experiences where the world is going to be seemingly coming to an end. And Jesus says, that's not the signs. But God does send them. God does send them not only as a warning, God also does send them as a judgment. God sends them as a judgment. And in his mercy and his grace to call the world back to him. Because if we've learned anything from this, we, we've learned this. I mean, death is certain. Death is certain. We have no idea what's going to happen. Reminds us of death. It reminds us of, of a future judgment. And so while we certainly don't need to be tethering ourselves to those who are saying that this is a, 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 a living proof that, that the end is soon, we, need, we do need to be those who say, it's not the end, but it is letting, letting us giving us an idea of what the end is going to look like. What it's going to look like. I remember when I was thinking about what's happening in China with, with their, their things on their, on their iPhone to where basically the governments they're doing this for health reasons so that they can track the people who have COVID-19. And, and to get on the bus, you've got to scan, scan your phone. To get in the store, you've got to scan your phone. To buy anything, you've got to scan your phone. I and mean, I'm thinking, golly. You know, Lisa and I were talking, she says well, do you think that's the answer? I said, no, but it shows me As I think about the end times when the scripture talks about you can't buy or sell without the mark of the beast, I can see real easy how that can work out. Now, do I think it's a sign of the end? No. But I think it's a reminder, it's a precursor that this is what it's going to look like when judgment comes. This is the chaos, this is the lack of freedom, this is the difficulties that can be faced when the end comes. Is COVID-19 a sign that the end is near? My opinion, based upon my study of the Scriptures, which could be incorrect, is absolutely not. Is COVID-19 a warning and illustration of the chaos and judgment of the end time? Absolutely. So, how will I, how will you respond to God's gracious warning, how will I, how will you respond to God's gracious warning? It's a reminder to us of a, of our mortality. I may not die. I don't. I'll be honest with you, I don't think I'm going to die from COVID nineteen. I could. I mean, I could get it next week. I don't think I'm going to. I'd be willing. I don't say I'd be willing to bet the house, but I, I will bet a week's salary. You know. I don't think I'm going to die of COVID-19. But you know what? I do know this. I'm going to die of something. Something's going to kill me. My, I'm, I'm hoping for the heart attack, you know, the, the widowmaker heart attack. You know, bang, bang, boom, you're out of here, you know. That, 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 if i got to choose the way, my, my, my least way would be drowning. You know, that, that scares me to death. Uh, scare, uh, scares me to death, okay. Yeah, but, uh, but, you know, but I am going to die of something. More than likely. Odds are, I'm not going to die of COVID-19. But I'm 100% certain that I am going to die of something. Of something. And no matter how well we protect ourselves, and I'm not discouraging that, no matter how many cautions we take, and I'm not discouraging that, sooner or later, something's going to get me. Something's going to get me. I'm going to die. And you're going to die. Are you ready? Are you ready? How will you, how will I respond to God's gracious warning? Judgment's coming. Judgment is coming. As certain as death is the certainty of judgment. Is the certainty of judgment. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior... If you don't have a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, you will stand before God and you will be judged for your sins and you will spend an eternity in the lake of fire, separated from God. You will face judgment for your sins. But the good news of the gospel is this, is that God sent his son. God became a man the second person of the Trinity, robed himself, added to himself humanity, and lived a life of perfection. Lived like any human being would live. Faced temptation like any human being would face temptation, yet without sin. In all points he was tempted like we are, yet without sin. And he offers up his perfect life of obedience to the Father, living in a way that everything he did pleased God. And he offered up that life to God. And in doing so... He was able to be my sacrifice and your sacrifice for sin. And on that cross, He took the wrath of God for my sin. And when I put my faith and trust in what He's accomplished, I receive the gift of eternal life. I give Him my sin. He robes me in His righteousness. And I am declared righteous declared righteous and begin a journey of walking with God where I become more and more transformed into the image of His likeness. COVID-19 should be speaking to those of you who do not know Christ that there is a judgment. There's a judgment coming. But the same is for you and I as believers. What are we doing with our lives? What are we doing with our lives? Now, that doesn't mean, a lot of times, when I remember when I, was, I would hear this, i think, oh gosh, that means I've got to surrender to some kind of you know, vocational ministry. That's not what I'm talking about at all. But living our lives in such a way, however God has gifted us, wherever God has placed us, that, that we live our lives in such a way that we are desiring to grow in the likeness of Christ. And that we will live each day with joyous gratitude to God. Live each day with joyous gratitude to God. And seeking to obey God by, by loving and serving those that He's created in His image for their benefit, for their benefit. and Walking in God in that kind of obedience as we display the mind of Christ to those around us. And, and we serve for His glory alone. And we do so with childlike faith. With childlike faith whether we're an engineer, whether we labor with our hands, whatever we do, whatever we do, we do so for the glory of God. And seeking to make the impact that God wants us to make. As we looked at the other, what am I doing with the minya that's been given? What am I doing with the life that God has given me? Am I, is my life adding value? Is my life making a difference? Making a difference. And this kind of incident should remind me that life is short. Judgment is coming. Life isn't certain. And as a believer, I need to live my life for God. And whatever vocation God has designed me for, in whatever place that God has put me, and whatever gifts God's entrusted me with, that I live in such a way to glorify and to please God. So, as you and I get ready for the next wave of hysteria, and again, I'm not downplaying this, this is serious, but, but I, I, I do think there are people who are who want who who want to incite as much hysteria as they possibly can that's just my opinion i don't have any scripture to back that up with huh. and again i think it's serious i think it's very 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 serious but whatever next whatever next comes down the pike after this is over after this is over or we get to some time There'll be something else. There'll be something else that will come down the pike years maybe later, months later, years. There'll be something else coming down the pike where people are going to say, this is it. And pack your bags. The end is near. The end is near. And according to this text, it's not signs of the end. It is a precursor. It is a foreshadowing. It is an example, a small example, of what chaos and judgment will exist in the end times. I don't worry about COVID-19 being a sign of the times, sign of the ends. Don't worry about it. But I do want to let what God is doing through this remind me there's more to life than this world than this world and that God is at work and God is graciously warning the world of his judgment of the chaos that's going to exist for those who do not know the Lord let's pray Father thank you for your word thank you for its timeliness Thank You, Father, that in Your sovereignty as we've gone through this study, little did we know when we began this study almost a year ago that we would be facing what we're facing and that we would be in this particular text at this particular time. But, Father, it speaks well to the situation that we find ourselves in today. Lord, help us not to live like those who are living that do not know Christ. Help us to be wise Help us not to live foolishly. Help us to be careful and discerning. Father, help us to live in such a way that more than the financial impact, more than the social, political impact, Father, we recognize that this is Your handiwork. You're sovereign over And while we focus on dollars and comfort and the supply chain, Father, You want us to think about a future judgment, a future chaos that awaits those who do not know Christ. You want us to think about the fact that we're mortal. And something's going to get us. Something's going to end our lives on this earth. Father, You want us as believers to recognize that all the opulent things that we look to is one day going to be dust. It's dust. So help us to lay up our treasures in heaven where moth and rust doesn't corrupt. And where thieves do not break through and destroy. And Father, we lay up those treasures as we as we live our lives in faithfulness to you. It doesn't it's not about what we have or don't have on this earth. It's about how we are living our lives for your glory. How we are taking what you've entrusted to a, to, to us and using it, Father, to 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 be blessings to other people. And so Father, we pray that you might calm our hearts. Lord, strengthen our resolve that we'll not get caught up in all the hysteria. And in Lord, even in the religious hysteria that takes place when a circumstance like this happens. Father, that we'll be able to say, while, yeah, this is this is something that we need to deal with. This is something that's... It's hard. It's difficult. It brings pain and suffering and hurt. And we need to be compassionate and caring and sympathetic and empathetic. Father, we don't need to get so wrapped up in all the other stuff that is out there that we miss the opportunity of what You want to do in our lives individually in our lives corporately. So Father, we pray that You would speak to our hearts today and help us to live lives that reflect You as we submit to You during this time and as we trust and yield ourselves to You. Thank You for all that's ours in Christ. Thank You, Father, for our hope. Thank you, Father, that you've not left us um, having to guess for ourselves. That we have a certain, assured word in the Scriptures. We ask now your blessings upon your people. For we pray these things in Christ's name through the Spirit. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. We don't have an altar call, but we do have an invitation. We just want to give you an opportunity to be able to speak to the Lord. You might be asking God to give you opportunities to, to speak to someone about him. Or maybe you're struggling right now and your world is really getting rocked by this and our hearts go out to you. But that but that God would would build in you the things that He wants to build in your life during this time. That that our, our focus will be upon him, that we'll look to him. And allow God to do his work of grace in our lives during this. This time, we'll not get caught up in all the re- religious hysteria and all the things that are around us, but, but live lives of faith. Do what we can and trust God. Do all that we can and trust God. I'm going to the Lord in a time of silence, and then we'll close out our service. Father, thank You for Your Word today, and thank You for its encouragement and its hope. Thank You, Father, that we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to be pateo. We don't have to be terrified. Father, we can give You our anxieties, give You our fears, live with a confident hope, that you're with us and that even COVID 19 is under your sovereignty. And you use events like this to graciously warn the world that judgment and chaos awaits those who refuse to repent continue to refuse the God of heaven. Father, help us to heed Your warnings. Give us the grace and enablement to apply them to our lives. And Lord, encourage us as we seek to live in ways that please You during this time. Live in ways that demonstrate Christ. And Lord, we just are grateful for Your Word and for its certainness for the fact that we can rest and have confidence in it. Pray Your blessings upon Your people today. Lord, we thank You and praise You for all that's ours in Christ, for the hope of His return. Thank You for this time. Bless Your Word to our lives today. We pray these things in Christ's name through the Spirit, Amen. It's a joy to see you today. It's a joy to be with you live streaming. Uh, for those of you that are here, the offering plates are at the back. If you we're not going to pass the plates, if you have an offering to give, you can just drop it in the plate there in the back. That's right there where the uh, sound booth is at. Uh, again, young adults, remind you about our Bible study at seven o'clock this evening via Zoom, uh, and then also Wednesday night at seven o'clock. Uh, we'll have our Zoom Bible study in time of prayer. We love you. It's good to see you. Uh, continue to pray for one another. Uh, continue to stay in contact with one another, encourage each other, um, lift each other up. Uh, we serve a great God. We serve a God who's in control. And uh, again, we it's it's just a joy uh, to be able to to walk with God, to have our faith strengthened. Uh, during, a, during a time like this. I'm not happy for the time. I wish we didn't have to go through it. But at the same time, uh, I'm reminded of Psalm 119 that says, it is, uh, I believe it's verse 71, it is good for me to suffer. It's good for me to suffer in order that I might learn your statutes. It's good for me to suffer in order that I might learn your statutes. In fact, let me just that might be a good benediction for us to to go out on. Let me make sure I got the right verse. Psalm 119. Yeah. Uh, I learned it in a different version. ESV has it this way. It says, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. I don't like affliction. I'm not looking forward to it. But God intends it for our good so that we can draw closer to Him and find our rest, comfort, comfort, sustenance and all that we need in him may God bless you may he keep you may he make his face shine upon you God bless you you're dismissed thank you for being with us